Open up in your Bibles to the second chapter of Joshua. Last week we started in uh, Joshua really by learning a little bit more about uh, who Joshua is. And, and this book is it's amazing. It's so cool to me how uh, chapter 1 and chapter 2, they're both character sketches, uh, but so vastly different. In chapter 1, we learn about uh, Joshua, who was a servant of Moses since his youth, who was right there with Moses when he went up on the mountain to get the Ten Commandments in the tent of meeting. Joshua was in there. He had this close to God that was unlike anybody else's. And I think that that really is the, the source of his faith and confidence in God is because he was so close to him his whole life. And so, so here's this, this guy who has been right there in the center of what God's been doing since he was young. And it's his, and it's his, his faithfulness to God that God takes and uses in Joshua to have him do great things. That's chapter one. Chapter two, we read about this other person that's had a very different life, that comes from a very different background. And yet, and yet God uses her as a part of his redemptive plan. Even though she was from the wrong people, from the wrong country, in the wrong profession, worshiping the wrong God, God still takes this woman and, and her trust and faith in him and, and uses it for awesome things. Man, what a, what a cool story. So I'm looking forward to looking uh, more at the, the life of Rahab. Uh, if we were to fast forward to uh, John chapter 4, we read this story about Jesus and his disciples. Uh, the, the heat is kind of being cranked up a little bit. The, the Pharisees are starting to ask questions and and so to avoid that, they decide they're, they're going to leave this area of Judea that they're in and head to Galilee, which is up north. And usually the way you got there was to go one of two ways, not up the middle because that was uh, Samaria and you didn't want to walk through Samaria because that's where the Samaritans were and nobody likes them. So you'd walk around the coast because it's prettier or walk around the Jordan. But it says in John chapter 4 that they had to go through Samaria. Which is fascinating. Like, why did they have to? They didn't have to. They could have gone another way. What, what was the reason why they had to walk that way? Uh, anyway, they, they set out right up the middle, spent all day long walking. By the time they get, uh, kind of close to, to the area of Galilee, they're, they're tired. And so they stop right in the middle of Samaria in this place uh, called uh, Jacob's Well. There's a well there. So Jesus sits down to relax. I mean, he's, he's fully God, right? We know that about Jesus, but he's also fully human. And so he got tired and he got hungry and he got thirsty. And so while he sat here and rested, his disciples went into town to go get some food. And as soon as they leave, this, this woman comes up all by herself to draw water, which is weird because usually they would go in groups, kind of like, like women go to the bathroom in groups today. It's the same kind of thing. <laughs> so for her to be all by herself was weird. But when she gets there, Jesus asks her, this Samaritan woman, can I have a drink of water? And for us, that's like, yeah, of course, he's thirsty. What's the big deal? But no, you don't talk to Samaritans at all, especially for, for a Jewish rabbi to talk to a Samaritan woman. There's no way that would have happened. I mean, that she even asks him, how does this happen? Like, why? Why are you talking to me? This is weird. How could you, being a Jew, talk to me? 
Because uh, Samaritans, they were really considered like a cult of Judaism. They were this weird offshoot. They, they were wrong. Like they worshiped in the wrong place. It wasn't in Jerusalem in the temple. It was up on some mountain. Uh, they didn't even believe in the whole Bible. They only held to the first five books. They, they didn't even consider uh, the rest of the Old Testament to be, to be inspired from God. Uh, they just had all of these ideas that were, that were off. Uh, they, they were originally Jews who'd been taken into captivity and then like intermarried w- with their captors. And so they were like a mixed race. And, and the Jewish people just didn't, they didn't like them. You avoided them at all costs. You, you, you stayed away. It's the reason why the story of the good Samaritan is such a big deal because there's no such thing as a good Samaritan. They're all bad, but, but this one was a, a good one. So again, so for Jesus to even be talking to her is, is weird. So when she asks, what's up? Like, how could you, a Jew, be talking to me, a Samaritan? And the answer is, it's kind of the whole reason why I came to this well. Like, we know that. But what Jesus says to her is, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And so they have this exchange about living water. And she says, wow, that sounds great. I want water that lasts forever. And I never have to be thirsty again. And I don't have to keep coming back to this well. That sounds great. Again, she doesn't understand. Jesus is talking about spiritual things, not physical things. He does that a lot. She, she doesn't, doesn't get it. But right off the bat, right from the beginning, Jesus starts this conversation by offering her living water, eternal life, soul satisfaction. Again, she, she doesn't get it. So Jesus uh, turns the conversation in this interesting way uh, towards her sin. He says, ah, go get your husband. Let's go get your husband, bring him here. And she says, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, right, I know. You've had five husbands, and the dude that you're with now isn't your husband. Yeah, you're, you're truthful about the whole I don't have a husband thing. Ah, oh, wow. Man, it's, it's almost like Jesus can see right through her, right? Like right into her soul. Because he kind of can. <laughs> and so she she responds to that in the way that that probably most of us would respond to having like our our lives ripped open and and uh like our sin exposed. Uh she changes the subject completely. <laughs> can we talk about something else? Uh, so she she says, uh, you guys say that you're supposed to worship at the at the temple in Jerusalem. We say over on this mountain here, who's right? That's good. Okay, we'll talk about that now for a little while. Uh, and Jesus explains, listen, there's coming this time where it's not going to be about the place. True worship is going to be uh, about worshiping in uh, in spirit and in truth. That's what true worship is going to look like soon. And again, Jesus is talking about spiritual things, and she doesn't fully understand. At one point, she finally just says, listen, I, I know, I do believe that there is coming a Messiah. And when he gets here, he's going to explain all these things to us. He's going to help like iron out all these differences. He'll help us to get what's going on. And then... When she says that, Jesus, in this like kind of unusual, uh, full self-revelation, says to her, the Samaritan woman, I, who am speaking to you, am he. I'm that Messiah. It's me. You're talking to him right now, which, 
I don't know, if I was that lady, I would have thought, no, you're just a crazy guy sitting out here in the desert. <laughs> because why would, the, why would the Messiah be here? Like, why would he be sitting here thirsty by a well? This seems odd to me. But she totally believes, probably because, because of his ability to see right into her heart and his ability uh, to speak to her about, about uh, eternal things. And she, she believes and, and she, she dumps her uh, water jug and runs into town. The disciples, they're walking up and they see, they see Jesus talking to her before she leaves. And it's interesting how John puts it. It's kind of like every one of the disciples is thinking the same thing. Like, that's really weird for him to be talking to this, this lady, but none of them has the guts to ask him, like, why, what are you guys talking about? Like, what's going on over here? Uh, but Jesus, when, when they get back, they say, okay, eat something. Here, we brought you food. Eat something. Jesus says to them, again, in his kind of cryptic way, where he's talking about spiritual things, not physical things, says, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And they're like, well, weird. Did you get a sandwich somewhere? Where did that? He says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And he says to them, open your eyes and look at the fields. They're ripe for harvest. If, if we weren't sure before, now we are 100% positive that this trip through Samaria was all about this woman. It was on purpose. It was a divine appointment. It was, it was part of the redemptive plan of God. And not, not only did this trip bring life to the woman, but it says that she brought others back. She went and told everybody, hey, you got to come see this guy who, who knew everything about my life. There's something different about this guy. I think maybe he's the one. And they come and they talk to him and, and they realize, they, they believe. They say, it's not just because of your report, but, but we believe ourselves that this is the Messiah. So all of these Samaritan people place their faith in Jesus because of this trip to the well. Because of this, this adulterous woman sharing about what she had discovered about God, all of these people come to a saving faith. Oh man, what, what an amazing God. It's a, an unlikely revival sparked by a very unlikely missionary. Here, this woman at the well is about as low on the social ladder as you could possibly get. She's a Samaritan. She's a woman. She's adulterous. She's a social outcast. And she's exactly the kind of person that God wants to use and work through to get His will done. And that's, that's often how God works, right? Through the weak and the broken and the seemingly insignificant people of the world. God doesn't just use the squeaky clean spiritual giants like Joshua to accomplish his mission. But he uses sinners like you and like me. And that is, that is really good news. It's just, it's just another reminder that our strength and our success, and our value, and our purpose, and our victory, it doesn't come from within us. It doesn't come from what we've been through or what we do. It comes totally, completely through this great God Almighty working in us. It's a testimony to the grace and the glory of God. 
and what, and what he can accomplish. And, and this passage here in Joshua is another one of those examples of, of the grace and glory of God. Again, God here uses this very, very unlikely woman, Rahab. Let's, let's read through it a little bit and get to know her more. Right off the bat, it says, Joshua, son of Nun, sent two men as spies secretly from Shittim, saying, go, view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and came into the house of a harlot whose name was Rahab, and they lodged there. My question as I read that first part is, why? Like, why even send the spies into the land? Like, you know God has already said, hey, I'm going before you. Nobody's going to be able to stand against you. You're going to win every battle. What? Then why even send the spies? Why even risk their lives in this way? And I think, I think the main reason for sending these two men in, especially, he says, especially I want you to go to Jericho. I think, I think it has less to do with military intelligence and more to do with another divine appointment. They were there because God, in his, like his awesome sovereign plan, knew that Rahab was supposed to be a part of it. She was going to be a piece of the story of redemption, not only saving uh, the Israelites, but, but saving all of us. On the, on the human side of things, for the spies to go to this type of inn and to this kind of innkeeper kind of makes sense, right? I mean, there would have been a lot of strangers from other places that would have gone to this kind of place. They wouldn't have stuck out. They would have been able to blend in a little easier. They would have been able to get a lot of information about, about that city and the surrounding areas in, a, in an inn like this. Go on, it says, it was, was told the king of Jericho saying, behold, men from the sons of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. The king of Jericho sent word to Rahab saying, uh, bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered our, uh, your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. Came about when it was time to shut the gate at dark that the men went out. I don't know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hidden them in the stalks of flax which she had laid uh, in order on the roof. So the men pursued them on the road to the Jordan, to the fords, and as soon as those who were pursuing them had gone out, she shut the gate, or they shut the gate. So a smart king would have had spies everywhere, right? Like all over the place had people that were loyal to him and were paying attention to what was going on. And that was the case here. There was somebody who saw these guys, heard where they were from, and reported back to the king. And so the king comes and says, all right, I need you to hand them over. But Rahab hides them, lies to the king, protects them, sends the king's uh, men in a total different direction on a total wild goose chase. This action on her part is treasonous. It's surprising. It's, 
It's suicidal, right? If the king finds out that she's lied to him and protected these guys, I mean, she's dead, her family's dead, all of her pets are dead, everybody's dead. Like, it's, it's done. It would be horrible. Why on earth would she do this? Why would she protect these men? Let's keep reading. Verse 8. Now, before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof said to the man, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the terror of you has fallen on us, that all the inhabitants of the land have melted away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites that were beyond the Jordan, and to Sion and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. When we heard it, our hearts melted, and no courage remained in any man any longer because of you. For the Lord your God, He is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Now therefore, please swear to me by the Lord, since I have dealt kindly with you, that you also will deal kindly with my father's household and give me a pledge of truth and spare my father and my mother and my brothers and my sisters with all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. So the men said to her, Our life for yours, if you do not tell this business of ours. And it shall come about when the Lord gives us the land that we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was on the city wall, so that she was living on the wall. She said to them, Go to the hill country so that the pursuers will not happen upon you, and hide yourselves there for three days until the pursuers return. Then after you, afterward you may go on your way. All right, so here... Here we find out exactly why Rahab was willing to risk her life to protect the spies. It's because she has placed her faith in God. It's because she believes in their God. And for her, this this faith that she has in God, this confidence that she had in God. It, it came over time, right? We learn about it. We learn that it started by hearing about God and, and who He is and what He's done, right? She heard about how, how God had dried up the waters of the Red Sea. She's talking about something that had happened, what, 40 years ago? And yet they're still freaked out about it? She heard about their victories over the Amorites and the other kings and These things have convinced her that the God of the Israelites is really God in heaven and on earth. The real, true God. Again, as as the innkeeper and the hired help, she's no doubt heard all of these stories, probably her whole life, about this wandering group out in the desert. She's heard about all the miraculous things that God has done and She's heard about who their God is and and what He's like. And what she's heard has caused her to be afraid. The proverb says that the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. 
And the kind of fear that it's talking about there is this, is this awe, this reverent awe, a respectful reverence for, for who God is and what, what He's done. And any kind of genuine, real faith has to start there where we hear about and see and understand who God is and what He's like and what He's accomplished to the point where we are awestruck by Him. Paul says in Romans that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of Christ. He says, how can anyone call on God without believing in Him? And how can they believe without hearing about Him? And how will they hear about Him unless someone's sent? It's part of our job as, as Christians, as believers, as missionaries sent by Jesus to go and tell people about God, this great and awesome, wonderful God, this gracious and merciful God who has, has given Himself for us, who has forgiven all of our sins who has adopted us into His family. It's part of our job to go tell people who He is, what He's like, and what He's done. Rahab has heard all about this great and mighty and powerful God. And what she's heard has caused her to believe. Rahab makes this very clear, very concise statement of faith, right? The Lord your God, He is God in heaven above and on earth below and everywhere in between. She really believes in God. So at this point, here's what we know about Rahab. She's heard about God and she's believed what she's heard about Him. And it scared her. That's, that's probably true of a lot of people in Jericho though, right? They've, they've heard about God. I mean, she says all of us are freaked out. None of us have any courage left. But God doesn't save everyone in Jericho. So what makes Rahab different? What, why does she get saved? Like, it's because she, she doesn't just hear about God. She doesn't just just believe that what she's heard is true. She actively follows God. She places her faith in Him in a way that, that has some, some walk behind the talk. There's action to it. It's not just words or even intentions, but it's action. Her faith is not just something that's in her head or some words that she says with her lips but it's also with what she does with her life. And it's this action, this, this scary step of faith that she takes that saves her. It's what she does with her faith that rescues her and her whole family from certain death. And it's, it's this choice to follow and obey God that gets her like on the list of the heroes of the faith over in the book of Hebrews. And James, James says this about Rahab. In James 2.5, he says, In the same way was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. She, she's justified because her faith was put into action. 
So Rahab, for us, here at this point, serves as a model of what real, true, genuine faith looks like. It's the the kind of of faith that God expects from us, not just that we would hear, not just that we would believe in our minds, but that we would have a life that's lived out in actions that are obedient to Him. For Rahab, she risked her whole life. She risked everything because she believed. It, It shows us this amazing picture of faith. But it also, in this story, we see this amazing picture of God's faithfulness. Let's, let's read the last part of the passage, starting in verse 17. The med said to her, uh, we, sh- we shall be free from this oath to you, which you've made us swear, unless when we come into the land, you tie this cord of scarlet thread in the window through which you let us down. And gather to yourself into the house your father and your mother and your brothers and all your father's household. It shall come about that anyone who goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head and we, sh- we shall be free. But anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head if a hand is laid on him. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be free from the oath which you have made us swear. She said, according to your words, so be it. So she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. They departed and came into the hill country and remained there for three days until the pursuers returned. Now the pursuers had sought them all along the road but had not found them. Then the two men returned and came down from the hill country and crossed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun, and they related to him all that had happened to them. They said to Joshua, Surely the Lord has given all the land into our our hands. Moreover, all the inhabitants of the land have melted away before us. Rahab shows this picture of a God who is completely faithful. A God who is gracious and merciful and loving. A God that is all about saving the lost. So the deal that that Rahab makes with the spies, like, okay, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to help you get away. And in exchange, you protect me and my father's house and my whole family. They agree. They say, get your, your family in this house. Put that scarlet rope out your window as a signal and we will spare you. Again, this is amazing because she's putting her whole life on the line. She's risking everything. She's decided at this point that she is going to follow God and there's no turning back now. There's no going the other direction. She's committed everything to Him. She's put all her entire life in God's hands. If he's not the real God, if he's not a faithful God, if he's not the true God, she's in trouble. But God doesn't let her down, right? God does rescue Rahab and her whole family. She keeps her word and God keeps his. In the same way, when we place our faith and our trust in God, He saves 
our life. He rescues us. We've got to do it in a way where there's, where there's no turning back. There's no going in the uh, opposite of direction. Where we give everything to Him. Where we promise, God, we want, we want you to be out in front. We want you to be the one that leads our life. We want to place everything in your hands because we know only you, God, can save us and rescue us. Rahab makes this, this choice. She, she fully believes that it's, that it's not her king and it's not her country that can save her or rescue her, but this God can and will and does. God doesn't just save Rahab's life. God adopts her into his family, like fully and completely adopts her into the family. Rahab, again, she's one of these people that has everything going against her. She's a Gentile, not a Jew. She's an Amorite, which is one of the worst nations in Canaan. She's, she's a prostitute. She's the last person that you would think would be worth saving. But because, because of her faith in God, she is totally, completely adopted into the family of God. Rahab is not treated like an outsider or a second-class citizen. She goes on uh, to marry this nice Jewish man from the tribe of Judah named uh, Salmon. She becomes a full member of the people of God. When we place our faith in Jesus, we are immediately adopted as children of God, given the right to be called sons and daughters of God, transferred from from that dominion of darkness into the kingdom of His beloved Son, we are His. We are God's completely, 100%. Not a little bit, not part way, not just until we can clean ourselves up good enough to earn His love. None of that. No, we're His. And there's, there's no one, no thing, no power, no fur, force on, on earth or, or under the earth or anywhere that can change that. You are God's child. God, God saves Rahab. God adopts Rahab into his family. And then God uses Rahab in his plan of redemption. So Rahab and, and uh, Salmon have a, a nice son named Boaz, right? Boaz marries a lady named Ruth that we read all about in the book of Ruth. Ruth and Boaz have a son named Obed. And Obed's the father of Jesse, who's the father of King David. Rahab is included in the lineage of Jesus Christ. That's how awesome God is. <laughs> Through faith in, in Jesus, God saves us and He adopts us. And then He uses us as a part of His plan of redemption in this world. Because He is an awesome Powerful, mighty, faithful God. So this, this weird story here in the Old Testament about, about a prostitute that helps out these spies turns into a total gospel proclamation. 
Because it's faith. Faith that is active and real and living like Rahab's faith has always resulted in justification and salvation because we have a God who is gracious and merciful and faithful. God has saved you and He has adopted you into His family and He has a plan. Like He wants to use you as a part of His redemptive plan in this world. And if, if God could use that woman at the well, and if God could use Rahab, then God could use sinners like you and me. Amen? Praise God. God, thank you so much for your faithfulness to us. Thank you, God, for how you have rescued us and saved us and adopted us into your family. Thank you, God, that you give our lives purpose and meaning, that you want to use us as a part of your redemptive plan in this world. Help us, God, to be lights in this world, pointing people to you. I pray, God, that people would hear about the kind of awesome, wonderful, mighty, powerful God that you are from us. And that when they hear, they would believe. And that when they believe, they would place their full trust in you, Lord. I thank you again that we... We didn't have to do it ourselves. It's, it's not because of how clean we are, how good we are, how careful we are at towing a line, God, but it's, it's your grace and it's your mercy on us. Even when we were sinners, Christ died for us. Thank you, Lord, for all the ways that you love us and bless us. Or thank you for your faithfulness to us. In Jesus' name, amen.